0: Well, Magnon has left his goal. He's not happy. And there's a scene going on here. The French goalkeeper not happy about whatever's going on behind him in his net.
1: That commentary was from the match between AC Milan and Udinese on January the 20th. AC Milan's black French goalkeeper, Mike Magnon, and his teammates left the pitch in protest after Magnon was subject to racist abuse. That Saturday was a bad day for the sport. In England, Coventry player Casey Palmer was also on the receiving end of racist abuse during his team's championship match against Sheffield Wednesday. Mark Robbins is Coventry's manager. He was visibly angry during the post-match interview. When it's racism, it oversteps. Nobody should have to deal with that. Nobody in society. There's no place in society for it. I'm
0: hoping that You know, they've got a a clear picture of what's gone on and they deal with them properly.
1: The response from soccer's world governing body, FIFA, was swift and hardline. Its president, Gianni Infantino, tweeted his condemnation. He called for harsher punishments for teams whose fans commit racist abuse. But Twitter talk is one thing. Is Infantino actually going to do anything to stamp out racism in football? Irish Times football columnist Ken Early isn't convinced.
0: If Gianni Infantino was serious about it, why does FIFA not start finding people? I mean, this is something that FIFA can do.
1: This is in the news from the Irish Times. I'm Bernice Harrison. Today, how does football tackle its racism problem? Ken Early, let's go back to that Saturday. AC Milan won their game 3-2 away to Udinese in Italy's Serie A, but the score wasn't what made the headlines. During the game, Milan's French black goalkeeper Mike Magnon walked off the pitch. Play was halted, but it eventually resumed. What happened?
0: Well, Mike Magnon is a is a really top player. Um, very familiar to Ireland fans because he played a big role in making sure we wouldn't be able to get to the World Cup uh, last year. is Is one of the top goalkeepers in the Italian league. Uh, playing uh, against him, as, as you said, um, heard people uh, abusing him uh, racially and took the unusual step of... I mean, it's not its not as though this is the first time he will have heard that, but it was unusual that he decided at this point to leave the field. So uh, he walked to the halfway line, spoke to some of his teammates, and then they all left the pitch with him. Uh, and the match was effectively suspended for a few minutes, and then there was the usual announcement, oh, there's been racial abuse. Please, um, please desist. And, you know, the players, so eventually the players were persuaded to come back on the field. They played the game. They won the game. Um, the fans continued to abuse Magnon The Udinese Ultras just booed him whenever he t- touched the ball and were chanting not uh, not racial abuse, but, you know, Mignon, idiot, like, Mignon, what have you done, you know? And uh, afterwards he sort of went on social media and explained, you know, I'm, I'm not going to put up with this. And uh, <clears throat> led, this led to, obviously, a lot of uh, reaction, including from the FIFA president, Gianni Infantino. Uh, but the, the thing about it was um, it wasn't actually the, the only time that something like this had happened uh, in Europe on the same day. There was also an incident in the Coventry against Sheffield Wednesday game uh, in the English Championship uh, where Casey Palmer, one of the Coventry players, uh, saw, he, he believed, uh, Sheffield Wednesday supporters um, <clears throat> making, or do, doing sort of monkey chants or making monkey gestures in his direction, he then pointed this out to the referee. I mean, this this was this was on the BBC News with the Mignon incident. Uh, you know, the referees coming over and, and he's sort of saying, "Look, you could you could see him um, almost making. He he made like a sign of the cross, like I'm I'm swear I'm telling you what I just saw." The referees sort of like, "Oh, where?" Because obviously people aren't doing it right at, at that moment. Uh, and this game also was paused. So this led to another scandal. So it was basically too big. Um, two big episodes of racism in one day, in, in one day which which is what uh, I suppose prompted infantino to uh, to get involved
1: in the case of Milan, the fan was identified he was handed a five year ban from Italy stadiums, but I suppose that incident had highlighted uh, a racism problem in Italian football. you know it's not new. you mentioned fifa's response we'll get to that in, in a minute, but watching it. Did what happened on Saturday and Magnon's response, did it feel like a watershed moment in Italian football?
0: No. Uh, no, because it's, it's the kind of thing that's been happening in an endemic way for a really long time. The only unusual thing about it was that Magnon sort of took the law into his own hands in the sense of saying, no, I'm not, I'm not going to have this. Because there is, there is an established protocol in place for this. The the, the the protocol that FIFA have established is the three-step protocol. So, first of all, if there's um, racist abuse and players notice this, uh, they're supposed to inform the referee. The referee is then supposed to tell, um, you know, the, the, there to be an announcement to be made, please stop this. If it continues, then the referee is supposed to spend the game and bring the players off for like a cooling off period. And then they come back out. And if it continues, then the referee is supposed to abandon the game. So, that's the protocol. It's the referee who's in control at all points.
1: Has the English game got anything like the same issues as Italy when it comes to race abuse?
0: Well, it's not the same. Uh, I think in, in Italian football, it's worse or there's more of an open culture of or culture of open racism that's been there for a while. Now, that used to be the case in, um, in English football. Um, and maybe it's, maybe it's starting to come back a little bit now. So, uh, if you go back to say the seventies and eighties, there there was there was then open racism towards uh, black players. This started to change, and I think there there are a few reasons for it. I mean, obviously, you've got the success of. Black footballers. Um, you used to have teams which were which were proud, where you had elements of the fan base who were proud that we've never had a black player. You know, we're not like these. Yeah, but you know, if you you know, every team has got black players. Black players are extremely successful. So obviously, within the within the game itself, you know, the game in, in terms of the the players, the managers, and so on. I, I don't believe there is any culture of racism because it sort of doesn't make any sense. It, you know, there's, there's there's no if if you were to be racist, you would be. Um, limiting your own prospects of success. As to why it stopped being so open from the supporters in the stadiums, I think one of the big reasons is that this has moved to all Cedar stadiums. So in terms of people had a fixed position, people had a fixed sort of neighbor, uh, you know, it was easier to identify somebody who was, who was doing this. Um, that was definitely part of it. Why do I say maybe it's, it's beginning to come back a little bit? I mean, there, there was uh, a, a big uh, episode a couple of years ago Around the time of the uh, George Floyd, um, the the George Floyd killing and the uh, and the subsequent wave of protests, matters. yeah, yeah. Mm. and so around that time, the uh, clubs in the Premier League and actually around a lot of Europe, but in the, in the Premier League, it sort of became an official policy of the league in, in twenty twenty after when they, they resumed playing after the sort of break for COVID, uh, and the players were doing this thing of taking the knee, you know, at the at the beginning of each game. Um, which was a thing that the players had decided to do among themselves. Uh, but then the, the league said, OK, you know, we sort of, we endorse this. If the players want to do it, you know, let's do it. Let's, and they sort of made it into an official policy. Uh, and then... Then it became lots of people saying, well, why are we doing this? This this is like an empty gesture. They, they do this sort of empty ritual at the start of every game. What is even this about? We're talking uh, over the passage of time, hmm. this sort of starts to happen and you get some players, um, some black players saying, well, you know, I'm not doing this anymore. Wilfred Zaha was one of the Crystal Palace players saying, look, this is um, what, what li- not lip service. Just you know, performative. It's, like, it's, what's exactly. The point? Yeah, it's it's like, it's it's nonsense. I, can't, I can't, It's sort of like everyone goes, oh, we do our little thing for racism and then we just kind of forget about that. And, yeah. you know, and, and I remember but the commentators used to say ridiculous things like Yeah, do you like, talk
1: over it? What well, do you do?
0: And now the players you know, <laughs> take the knee in support of equality around the world. You, you know what I mean? It, yeah. it just sort of sounded like these kind of empty formulations. But I, I do remember one uh, significant moment with that which was there was a couple of rounds of matches where they reopened the stadiums to allow a limited number of fans like socially distant fans in. And at Millwall the, the team that Amy Dunphy used to play for It's like the sort of south of the river Docklands in London and would have been known as one of the more sort of hooligan type clubs, you know, in the 70s and 80s, you know, a kind of a skinhead or aggressive fan culture Uh, and a kind of a reputation that they've sort of not cultivated, kind of cultivated, sort of held on to anyway. Mm. When those fans were back in for this and the the players did the knee, took the knee at at the beginning of the game, the whole place uh, booed like furiously. Like it was Oof. really like, boo, you know, because what well, from their point of view, they were protesting against this like um, BLM, uh, neo-Marxist, uh, Trojan horse, uh, okay. you, you, you know. So, so that what I mean is the whole question had become so politicized. All of these issues have become... Intensely politicized, and so these Millwall fans, who are obviously, let's say, they would be more towards the anti-woke end of the sure. spectrum. Yeah,
1: they saw this American import, presumably as well, this yeah, taking yeah. the knee thing. Uh,
0: rather than take it uh, at, at face value as here are the players saying, "Let's not have racism." instead it's these players are the pawns of uh, you know the conspiracy to you know defund the police and break up the nuclear family you know yeah e- sure yeah, so, yeah. so and we we're uh, we're the ones standing uh, in the way you know we're the kind of Knights of Western civilization or whatever you know so so this is the kind of very dramatic very self dramatizing way I think that these things are now looked at you know nothing is just a sort of a simple gesture everything is like well why are they doing this and who's really in control and you know we've got to stand up against this and if it's first this and then it'll be this yeah you know you get women on television talking about football (laughs) all this kind of stuff so um so yeah it's so so that's that's england italy is is kind of different i mean the place where this thing happened is udine which is in the northeastern corner of italy which is like the the kind of Lega nord homeland you know Mm. it's like the Italy has got a kind of a neo-fascist government now. It's one of these countries like so many European countries now where kind of migration has come to be the uh, defining political issue. And so again, it's it's like it's political. You know, it's like uh, things have become much more complicated since the, since the 1980s. It was possible to see sort of racism as almost just uh, like, you know, an expression of, a pe- some, something people aren't even really thinking much about to something mm. that, that people are seeing as part of like a much wider yeah. like a political drama, you know, and we've got to make our voices heard and there, you know you, you get all this stuff like I, I don't remember much in the in the 80s and 90s about like uh, You know the European civilization is about to be washed away, you know and th- But this is like governments are getting elected on the back of this kind of rhetoric now all, ra- all around Europe I mean most recently in the in the Netherlands.
1: And you're saying that's spilling into the stands. Oh, of course. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, there, it's, it's always been, there's always sort of been a political element of football, of course. I mean, depending on the country, it's the politics are different, but uh, it's always going to sort of reflect what's going on in the wider society.
1: Can football has such a deep-seated and wide-ranging problem with racism that is trying to figure out for a long time. And, you know, we could be talking about incidents like the ones in Milan and Coventry every third week. But what makes this week different, I think, and the reason why we're talking about it today, is how FIFA President Gianni Infantino responded. He tweeted pretty quickly a very hard line response, or what's been perceived as a hardline response from FIFA. He said that as well as the three-step process which you've just mentioned, match stopped, match restopped, match abandoned, he said, we have to implement an automatic forfeit for the team whose fans have committed racism and caused the match to be abandoned, as well as worldwide stadium bans and criminal charges for racists. Now, the key two words in that is not about, you know, stadium bans and criminal charges. It's about forfeiting matches. Mm. So, so, When's this going to be implemented?
0: Mm, I don't. I mean, when Gianni Infantino speaks about these things, you just—it's—it's it's hard not to laugh at, at him. I mean, he November 2022, he gave uh, this incredible uh, press conference in Doha, um, the day before the the World Cup in Qatar kicked off, where he was defending Qatar against all of the. He, he basically gave this big speech to all of the journalists, most of whom were from Europe, I guess, which was di- a, a tirade just directed at the sort of North European and North American media where there had been over the preceding years uh, lots and lots of criticism of of the World Cup being in Qatar, the process that led it to be in Qatar, which resulted in uh, most of the uh, the. FIFA guys who voted for it being arrested and in fact resulted in the ascension of Gianni Infantino to be the FIFA president because mm. the previous guy was, was booted out for corruption. He started off with a, with a sort of a famous formulation. He said, uh, today I feel uh, Qatari, today I feel African, today I feel uh, gay. Where, where is he going with this? You know, it was, it was amazing. But it, but it turned into this sort of tirade against the, the bullying of the, the Western media's bullying of Qatar. Mm. You know, it was basically Qatar's done all this. They've laid on yes. this speech. Yes, let's not talk about the human rights was, abuses. Well, the, the, all you're talking about this human rights stuff. But what about you? I think for what we Europeans have been doing in the last 3,000 years around the world, we should be apologizing for the next 3,000 years before starting to give moral lessons to people. So, so the idea that this guy is now like, oh, I take racism so seriously. The last time I heard him talking about it, he was using it to, to, to mount a fake case, like to deflect away from uh, all of the problems with the World Cup being in Qatar. And he was you know playing the the racism card in a, com- in a completely disingenuous and ridiculous way. Now he's like, oh, I take this really seriously. But FIFA doesn't really take it that seriously. Did Sepp Ladder say, you know, they should just you just shake hands at the end of the game and forget it? I mean, that's that's fourteen or fifteen years ago. So, so I suppose they're taking it more seriously mm. than they did then. And the
1: threat of a for, of a sort of a system of forfeit, yeah, surely is that not a serious threat?
0: Well, it creates the the obvious issue of um, of the system being gamed. You know, uh, uh, false flags, false mm. flag racism. You know, we we could be into that that sort of world. Uh, we, have, you know, we have a situation where, where clubs, fans, groups are, are very reluctant to accept responsibility, or that any punishment handed down by authority may actually be justified and warranted. Mm. It's always it always becomes well, this is a corrupt decision, and oh, what about this time? This other team did this, and you never did anything. And it's you know everyone's corrupt, and they're against us. I mean, this is like a very zeitgeisty way of thinking about everything.
1: Coming up. I'll continue my conversation with Ken Early after this short break. FIFA has no power then to affect any real change.
0: FIFA does have power. People could say we're refining you. I mean, but you know, these
1: these clubs are very very wealthy. Does well, fine. Well,
0: they're wealthy, but like nobody likes paying fines. I mean, you know, if are are they wealthy enough to um, try to improve the system at their stadiums to to make sure? I mean, really, this is a question of self policing in the crowd, and I think that that has happened in England, for example, uh, over the last sort of thirty years.
1: In Ireland, I suppose, you know, people like me who are Green Jersey football fans, you know, who only really sort of wake up when Ireland's playing. But
0: That's most people in the world.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We'll remember last June when our under-21s, the Republic of Ireland under-21s, they walked off the pitch in Austria. Mm. It was during a friendly with Kuwait after an alleged racist remark was made towards, I think, one of our substitutes. By uh, one of the
0: Kuwaiti players. Yeah.
1: The incident was reported to FIFA and UEFA. But, I mean, what is FIFA and UEFA's track record like when it comes to effectively addressing racism?
0: Well, it's I mean, it's not quite... I mean, the, the typical thing is to look at their um, the way that they hand out fines. Uh, and so, typically, like a, a club will be fined, you know, uh, 70,000 euros because your fans lit flares in contravention of fire regulations. And then, like some other club gets fined, 1,200 euros for... Racism or, or. That's down
1: the back of the sofa stuff, isn't things it? Things like that. Mm. Or, you
0: know, sometimes they'll make a team play a game behind closed doors. You know, this is a, another. Uh, thing that sometimes happens where the fans have, you know, there's been complaints about what has happened. There's been racism. And so then they might say your next two games are behind closed doors. And that penalizes stories. all fans. Yeah. So, so there you're trying to encourage this sort of element of self-policing or like give the clubs an incentive, give the, you know, if they're losing money and they're obviously having to play in an empty stadium, um, now they have an incentive to try and take it more seriously and do something about it. Um, but yeah, it doesn't necessarily um, it's not effective in, in, in all cases and then you've, you've got this sort of I think a kind of a new dimension now where there are like political groups that are sort of trying to force this agenda um, trying to trying to force force it into the kind of to create flashpoints mm. to create controversies uh, to, to sort of get this whole notion into attention and, and oftentimes I think to to get the authorities to try to react or to overreact. You yeah. know what I mean? To, to, to sort of, uh, to do things that they can then point at and say, oh, you know, look at this. this. Sure. Look at this woke agenda. There's a bigger game mm-hmm. going on. It's yeah. not just a question. It's just a question of like pockets of racism, racists and the, the, in the on Saturday. Of, you know, yeah. people who've got issues. Uh, there's like a, it's part of a bigger picture. Do you see a black man, a Frenchman or a footballer? Is it okay to shout racial abuse at me just because I am on the football pitch? Some people say we have to accept abuse as part of the game. Why? I know that violence is not acceptable in sport. So why should we accept hatred? Why argue about differences? I'd rather play football.
1: Ken, that was an ad that ran in 1996. It was uh, part of a kick racism out of football campaign. And what you you heard there, some people might have recognized it was Les Ferdinand and Eric Cantona. Um, Look, there have been several uh, campaigns aimed at highlighting racism and discrimination in football over the years. Kick It Out show races in the red card, no room for racing. That's just in the UK alone and that's just a few of them. All the big stars throw their weight behind these campaigns. These are stars that are idolised by the fans. But I mean, have any of these campaigns been successful?
0: Uh, I mean, I think they, they have to a certain extent. I mean, the... You know, it's interesting to hear Cantona there. I mean, that the previous, the year before, uh, in 1995, he was involved in that incredibly, uh, a very famous incident where he was sent off in a game, was then abused by a fan who ran down the front.
1: Oh, and he ran into the into he, the crowd. Yeah, attacked, Even I know that. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. He he attacked the fan. That was a really direct approach to to, <laughs> to s- on out. this this yeah. problem.
1: Um you mentioned Inright. he got involved in the in responding to in and in support. He he came out in support of what Mannion did on, on Saturday. He said, Keep walking. He himself was at the center of a case involving what he described as a horrific racist abuse incident directed at him on social media by a Kerry teenager. Do mm. you remember that in twenty twenty one?
0: Yeah, I think it went to court, didn't it? Yeah,
1: it did go to court.
0: Um, Yeah, I mean, and and this is another thing that happens. And frequently you will see black football players who will put up a screen grab. After something has happened, they've maybe they've scored a gold or they've missed the penalty or something something has happened which has caused attention to be focused on them and then loads of people are sending them dms with the monkey emoji or banana emojis or just um, racist abuse so they put up the screen grab and say look at this you know oftentimes people are people are sending this from their own accounts i mean that's what happened with with and Wright. The person sent them i think a, a dm i mean under mm. their an, an easily traceable account then the sort of police turn up and say, "Well, you know, what do you mean by this?" And I mean that wasn't the first time. I mean, Wright obviously that was social media. Wright was involved in a in an episode on field episode during his career with the Manchester United goalkeeper Peter Schmeichel, also a huge figure in the game. Who they'd sort of clashed during the game, and Wright claimed that Schmeichel had racially abused him. And I just remember the the sort of ranks closing around Schmeichel. It's oh, ridiculous. He, he would never have said that. But there wasn't sort of evidence you know, uh, against Schmeichel other than what Ian Wright was saying. So it was, uh, well, you know, we'll, we'll we'll move on.
1: The Brazilian Football Confederation, it came up with a plan, again, to combat racism. It said that there would be a deduction of points for any club found to be associated with racist incidents. And when they said, you know, club, they meant the fans, the members of staff from the top down and i think you know when that came out that was great oh mm, that might work that's that's a fresh approach but do you think clubs in europe would have the the stomach leagues in europe would have the stomach to to implement such a thing
0: um i think they'd rather just pretend it wasn't happening yeah you know, or they'd they'd rather not you know get get involved in sort of deductions of points um people can never agree that the points deduction is deserved you can just imagine the ty- the types of arguments that that would end up being made there, you know, because it's always going to be, well, if we're getting punished for this, then what about mm. all these other things? And you've been inconsistent, and you haven't done this, and so on and so forth. And I think they'd rather kind of just sort of keep uh, <laughs> keep just going along the way that it is, and sort of hoping things will get better.
1: Okay, if you were FIFA president for the day, and you were asked to to, to figure this out. What would you be tweeting out? Would you say forfeit? What would you have said? Well, FIFA what maybe
0: FIFA maybe should um, should uh, should assume responsibility for it. If Gianni Infantino was serious about it, and and it isn't simply a case of him sort of saying, "Well, look, you know, obviously I I stand up for this." And if he if he's serious about it, then why doesn't he announce rather than saying, as he said in his tweet? You know, there should be criminal prosecution and all this sort of, you know, criminal prosecution, he's basically saying to the police and all of these, the judicial system in each of these countries, you've got to assume responsibility for this. Uh, and also he's putting responsibility on the clubs. Why does FIFA not assume responsibility? If FIFA is saying uh, that this is happening and this is going to be a problem, why does FIFA not start finding people? I mean, this is something that FIFA can do, um, isn't doing. So... That would be a a better place for him to start, I think, rather than sort of say, uh, police forces around the world, here's something else to add onto the list of what you've got to do. When I saw his tweet, it just seemed to me as though it was kind of self-promotion from him rather than really saying FIFA thinks there's a serious problem here and and FIFA's going to You know, the organization I control, FIFA, is going to try and, is going to actually do something concrete about it. It's just like, no, something should be done about this. And you're like, well, you're the FIFA president. They can ban teams um, and they can fine teams. And I guess that's really, that's pretty much it. I mean, they can't make policy in European countries. They can't decide what the police should do in European countries. But um, they can, uh, to a big extent, control what happens in, in football. So, yeah, something more specific along those lines, I suppose.
1: Ken Early, thanks very much. Thanks, Bernice. That's it for today. For Ken Early's weekly football column, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. I'm Bernice Harrison. This episode was produced by John Casey. In the news, we'll be back tomorrow.